Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello, it's the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Sammy James. We are your independent Fulham audio life support machine. And tonight we'll be discussing how Fulham set many a heart racing in the wrong way on Saturday as we just about held on to secure a 2-2 draw against QPR in the West London derby. A far from convincing performance by the Whites, but it still means that Fulham break the club record to claim a 16th game undefeated. And breathing life into the podcast tonight is Chief Heartbreaker, Farrell Monk. Top of the morning to you. The Stats Doctor, Ben Jarman. Hello, listeners. And a man who's probably used a hospital bed many a times after a night out, Stom Betts. Hello, hello. How you doing? Yeah, not bad. I haven't been on in ages. No, you haven't, actually. It feels forever. Is that true? You've used a hospital bed after a night out? Well, it was still part of a night out, technically, so it wasn't after a night out. It was still like... Unless you took it with you in true student fashion. I think last time I was in the hospital was like, maybe, I don't know, Todd Moscow. <laughs> <laughs> but the funny thing is about this, right, is this this hospital is right next to where I went to university, but I didn't end up end up in there once when I went to uni. Went back to Harrow to have a few drinks, and then I somehow ended up in there. But I don't remember being in a hospital bed, I just remember being in the middle of a hospital. And this is why we miss having Dom on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Plenty to chat about tonight on Fulhamish. Uh, lots to discuss after the draw with QPR and what that means for our promotion and playoff chances. But first, we need to do some three-word reviews. You'll have noticed Secretary Jack Collins isn't here, so secretarial duties are being passed across the podcast tonight, and it is Farrell Monk's responsibility to look at what came in after QPR. Whoop whoop. Uh, so we've got Gordon at FFC Riverside is oh dear, oh dear, oh doy. Um, <laughs> Wait, hang on. He's put oh dear as one word. All right, OK. Because yeah. I was going to say that's five words. Yeah, I, I, I do work in finance and I used Excel to work out how many words there were. OK, there. well. Yeah. So um, we've got uh, Andrew Birch's uh, Fulham Stopped Playing. David Gadd's one bad performance, which I thought was a bit positive, and our friend Dean Jones with definition of Fulhamish. Well, you said that that's very interesting that you bring up the definition of Fulhamish because there was that article during the rounds last week how uh, if Slavisa wins on Saturday, that Fulhamish is no longer a relevant term. And I didn't want it to come true, but I said, trust me, Fulhamish will always be a thing. And I think Saturday was very much proof of that. Uh, we'll come to a few of those other points in just a second. After I say that this season we are backed by Ladbrokes for exclusive specials and promotions, head to bet.fulhamish.co.uk. Well, we prevailed from a tough match against QPR with a point. Ben, not the result or performance that we'd have wanted, but we're up to third and the unbeaten run does continue. So, taking away from the performance, it's not the end of the world. No, it's not the end of the world, but it will feel like a draw that felt like a defeat because in the first half we were exemplary. We played some great football um, from times and we had uh, near on 80% possession if you looked at the half-time stats. Um, to a second half that was diabolical, really. Uh, if we think about it in cynical fashion, we didn't hold on to the ball well enough, we didn't make any inroads, and for the most part it was a game that was played within our first third in front of the keeper. And it sort of overshadows the fact that we've gone 16 games unbeaten when you have a result that stings as much as that one does. Well, and also typical that after those 15 kind of glorious matches, even the draws were pretty decent, to be honest, that Fulham have secured uh, ever since that Sunderland game. This is the first real poor performance in that run, Farrell. 
and it's just such a shame that it happened to happen against QPR of all teams. Maybe apart from Brentford, would I not have wanted that to happen against any other club? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's just it's just um, a bit weird the performance, especially. I mean, Ben says we were really really good. There was those odd moments uh, during the first half with a little bit of warning signs there might be a bad performance on its way, considering how many misplaced passes there were, very misplaced simple passes there were um, from usually reliable people like Piazon and McDonald. But we never thought there would be such a collapse in the second half. When I spoke to you at half time after I spotted you out of the stands. Um, oh, did you have a little that, reunion? Yeah, we had a little reunion at oh. half time. We had a quick word with each other. Um, we <laughs> said like that, him off. We said, yeah, <laughs> we said that after, after their goal, just before the half, that they could go in here and it could be a completely different game, second half. They looked like before that goal went in that they were just going to roll over mm. and we, we were all over the top of them. Um, but since we, we let in that goal at half time, I said to Farrell, they've got they've got a glimmer of hope here. They could come out a completely different side, and ultimately they did. Yeah, I think that goal was uh, hugely important for the game itself. We'll come on to that in a minute. You mentioned a good point though about how I don't think we were scintillating in the first half. I think we dominated the only opening twenty minutes, Don. But the fact that we found ourselves two 0 up, I thought was quite fortunate, and I thought maybe Fulham have got away with a not scintillating display but here we are we're 2-0 up and hopefully we would go on and cruise to a victory ultimately uh, that wasn't what happened at all yeah I think I think Holloway mentioned it or maybe a QPR player mentioned it they showed us too much respect in the first half and I think that's mm. correct because they weren't pressing us at all like they did in the second half and yeah I didn't think we were that good I think the funniest thing that happened obviously I didn't see the second goal because you know I was having a pint but like I said, what is what was Piazon doing the entire half? Like he didn't contribute anything in the first half. Then two seconds later, he goes and scores a goal. But I just we weren't good in any respects in the game really. I just thought QPR backed off too much in the first half, and that's why we had so much time on the ball and why we had all our chances. So I think in the second half we just didn't turn up. We couldn't string like three passes together, and our, we just didn't know how to sort of combat QPR it's not not aggressive style of play but just how they were pressing us so hard to pitch and we didn't really know what to do obviously the goal was going to come from a set piece knocked down from Matt Smith but I'm sorry it's not a good finish I'm not having that argument <laughs> what? from Luongo? no he's just not facing the goal and just sw- and just whacks his foot at it it's not a good finish <laughs> he's just lucky it goes in the corner and it looks or the back of the net and it looks like a good finish but it's not he just hits it in hopes really for me well, I, well, it's got a good connection on it, considering he had his back to goal. We'll give credit where credit's due. Um, obviously, he's just trying to get a good connection on it rather than actually place it near enough to the, you know, into the bottom corner. But a bit harsh to say that it was maybe slightly lucky. I would, I would say. Oh, lots of good goals hit in hopes. I mean, Kasami's was a great goal, but there's a bit of a hit, and he, he swings a leg at it. Definite meant. Definitely meant for the top corner. <laughs> All I'm saying is I don't think you can take it away from Luongo just because yeah, I, I would argue Piazon's finish is better. Because it's a lovely finish. Because he gives, gives the keepers the eyes and puts yeah. it the other way. But I think, I think, Piazon, I think, I think if Piazon doesn't score from there, I'd be thoroughly disappointed. No, but he could have gone the way the keeper was going yeah. like, normally. But he does, he does give the keeper the eyes and then buries it. But I think the most annoying thing about this game is not that we bottled the team up, but it's like we've been so good defensively at home uh, the stat was, I think, first time we can see this since the 2nd of January, and we've scored 21 goals in six games with no reply. Yeah, I didn't really know what happened in the second half. I mean, we, we spoke about it before, that like, we usually never turn up in the first five, ten minutes of the second half, but we decided to just do it for the entire half. Uh, the entire time. second half, yeah. Mm. It, was like the, it was like the Fulham of the earlier on in this season, mm. where you would put two backs of four against us, and we couldn't get it out of our, like, past the right back or the left back. 
and I think we were very guilty of taking way too much time on the ball and trying to get it out of defence and uh, we were as we said on the podcast in the, in the preview to this game it was going to be a very tough game where the lines are going to be stretched and ultimately they were and we were so unorganised um, in terms of our structure that it was almost impossible for us to get out and obviously credit where credit's due to QPR they they pressed well they harried well and they, all, they were very well organised in the second half Well the first half I, I don't think I've seen a team sit deeper than probably Burton uh, towards the beginning of last season we just couldn't break them down and we, we did struggle at times to to break down QPR but it kind of played us played into our hands somewhat we had a lot of the ball and we were able to find little gaps where there were where there apparently were none but in the second half I thought you know me and Ben also said at half time that it's actually playing into our hands the goal that you know QPR are now going to sniff a victory and uh, try and go all out to try and get that and make the game more open which does play into our hands but for I think QPR did press really really well and um, and the pressure did count in the end. Well, it was strange, though, because in that first half, I can't remember a Fulham game this season where a team hasn't tried to press us from the goal kick, where we have looked vulnerable up until a point. I think recently, actually, we've been very good at make, 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 uh, beating that press from the goal kick and playing it out the back well. But QPR just completely stood off us. And I think the team looked a bit shocked they didn't know really what to do with so much time at the back they didn't know if to spray it long or keep doing little tippy tappy passes that they didn't really need to do because there was they were under no pressure to try and beat the press let's look at that first goal though from Kearney it was really positive work from Piazon and then Kearney it looked so easy shades of Danny Murphy v United for me it felt like the exact same kind of goal where it didn't seem to have too much pace on it, but it just caught Alex Smithies unaware. And nice to see Kearney chipping in with a few goals now, and hopefully he can continue that goal-scoring touch yeah, the, know, into the playoffs. Yeah, the need slides are back. And um, I think what from it, I was a little bit disappointed he was lining up the shot as early as he was because he had options, probably easier options, but decided to take the shot on and thankfully it went in. And that probably caught... Smithy's a bit cold that he was going to shoot from that far away when he when the defence was um, overloaded, but it was it was a fine finish in the end, and the keeper would have done really well to save it. And the second beautifully worked, lovely run from Freds, and we just know how dangerous Fulham are. If they get to the byline, we're going to punish teams more often than not now because we've we've mastered the art of the pullback and actually very neat work in the box from Fulham the, the little layoff from Ryan Sessegnon to have the awareness to see Lucas Piazon running in there is exceptional and it just once again Sess had a bit of a quiet game but when Sess has the ball in the box it's his magic feet that do the talking not necessarily his wild runs and tricks and flicks down the side it's, it's that composure in the box is what makes Sessegnon such a bright talent well, yeah, I think you nailed it there. So I can't really add much apart no. from the fact that Kevin McDonald picks out a wonderful ball down the channel mm. even before that passage of play for Ryan Fredericks. And he sort of dilly-dallies on it a little bit. And you thought maybe he's held on for that, to that a little bit more there. And they've pushed him out towards the side, like towards the byline. And he's uh, a wonderful like ball down the channel in, into the path of Fredericks. And um, it's a really well-constructed goal. And... A lot, of, a lot of people give Piazon some flack, and rightly so, on Twitter and all other social media forms for being a little bit anonymous in that first half. But if you think about it, he has he has an assist for the first. He weighs in with a goal, and I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, it was him that had the goal ruled out for offside in the first four or five Cess minutes. Cessignon. Oh, Cessignon. Yeah. My, my apologies. Sorry. But he he um 
although he did let a few passes go wayward um, I thought his movement was pretty good um, and he always seemed to find uh, air space in areas where like Farrell said that where there wasn't many but I think it wasn't up to his usual high standards in terms of his passing and that's something that we look at now from all of our wingers is is that distribution but um, yeah it's nice to see him weigh in with a goal and he's been largely uh, quite effective over the few games uh, MJG who we all know and we all love on Twitter put out some um, stats earlier on Piazon, I think, has started uh, seven games. He's weighed in with three goals and four assists in those games. Wow. But um, he has tended to start uh, a couple of the games that ended up in draws. Um, and obviously a couple of those goals have come against Burton. Yes, of course. Uh, as Rui Font also can attest to as well. Farrell, if, if Queen's Park Rangers don't score that goal just before half-time, do you think Fulham go on and win the game? quite comfortably because it seems absolutely criminal everything that led up to it it was a cheap free kick conceded by Fulham and to let Matt Smith win that header there's one man that ball is going to inside the box his name's Matt Smith you put three men on him surely it just seems so easy for him to tower up win that header and once he's knocked that down good finish bad finish from Luongo I think it's not the relevant debate here it's the fact that he wins that header in the first place and once he does we're always in trouble well, I mean, I mean, Matt Smith and winning header shock, to be honest. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, Matt Smith wins headers. Fair play to him. It, it was the ease that he had the space and time to be able to sort of pull it back. Um, and, I mean, it was just a bit naive defending that there was no defender hanging back just in case it drops into that area. Um, but to go back to the original question, yes, I do believe Fulham would go on and win the game comfortably, mainly because once they get a goal back and Fulham started, especially starting the second half, became really nervous, like openly nervous and very dithery on the ball. And I think that that's that kind of nerves of we're going to actually lose the, you know, lose it here showed. Uh, it showed from the stands. It showed when particular players were on the ball and we just weren't incisive enough and we weren't confident enough to play it through the through the um through the midfield especially the center because uh, quite a few times Kenny or McDonald were coming deep to get the ball and just weren't getting it um McDonald was doing what he usually does is is picking up deep and trying to play it out wide to Fredericks but those kinds of balls just weren't happening it wasn't one and two touch passes anymore it was three four five touches on the ball and ultimately it became our downfall. The thing that really sticks for me is that if you look at Tom Kearney's average position in the second half, it's going to be where we expect McDonald to be, if not deeper. And that's just not what we need in that type of situation. When you've got two banks of four pressed against you, or a bank of five and a bank of four, you need someone in there that's going to be able to create that link in between the midfield um, and the defence. And that's normally Tom's role, but he drops far, far too deep mm. there to be able to either force the issue in terms of passing or drifting between the lines like he normally does it also dropped far too deep to force any sort of speed and tempo with the ball because there's no gap or there's no link between both of those lines Johansson is way too far up McDonald is way too deep or almost to the side of him the fullbacks aren't up far enough and when they are they're being marked out of the game by the the, the um by the wide midfielders. Well, Kevin McDonald looked like a third centre-back, exactly. like a sweeper almost at times. Exactly, which is why TC doesn't need to be there. I completely get why he's trying to do it. He's trying to find space and he's trying to draw midfielders out of that midfield. But they just simply weren't following him. Or if they were, Tom was facing the wrong way and he had to go back to a doy. The, that, that, for me, is fundamentally why he's been taken off. Yeah. But I don't understand why he's replaced with Fonte 
and not with a Norwood, for example. Well, let's come on to the substitution because that was that was my next nice next question. You've nicely brought me onto it, Dom. What did Slav do wrong? I think it seems quite widely accepted that Font for Kenny was the wrong. He substitution. made three mistakes and bringing those three players on. Well, let, let's go. Let's go. Let's go through. Uh, it. Let's start with Font coming on for Kearney. I, I'm a, I, I'm a big fan of Font. I think he's quite not underrated by Fulham fans, but he gets a lot of slack for maybe he's actually just not suited to the way we play. He's a very technically gifted player, but I didn't understand when you're two one up, we need to bring on. Rui Font and not Oliver Norwood. Oliver Norwood has proved this season that he's a very, very, not even a good school player, a good starting 11 player. In the, at the very start of the year, he's probably one of our best players in that midfield because obviously Kenny was still out injured. Then moving on to the next one, which is would have been who came? Who was it who came on for what, on the right? Uh, uh, Ayat. So there, you don't, I wouldn't bring on. Either I say or OJ, I would have brought on Cyrus Christie at that point. What, for Piazon? Yeah. Because okay. it's a more defensive option, but both of them can. Moving win. Fredericks up to well, right wing? Both or... of them can swap around. I, don't, I'm not, I wasn't really bothered who was playing there, but it's a more defensive option, and we couldn't keep control of the ball. And I don't think we needed an attacking player on at that point. Why Ojo and Aite get on the bench over Cabano, I do not know. Because I don't. I, Ojo had his run of form. I know he's got the stats period when he's in the side, we, we get more points, but I didn't see anything that those two have offered this season that Cabano doesn't. If you look at the Barnsley game, in particular away, Cabano was phenomenal in that game. Well, certainly as an impact sub. He's yeah, that's very, what I mean. As an, as an impact sub, I think he offers more than Aite or Ojo. They're probably better at starting. Cabano's dynamism when he comes on from the bench is something we have missed, and I don't know why he's not in the squad it just doesn't make sense to me I do feel that essentially the, the players coming off at the time that they did was probably the right move but the players coming oh, off yeah coming the players on, coming off I, no, I had no issue with because yeah. um, Cessna was amazing in the first half but, in, but then in the second half Furlong got onto him and was always closing him down and he didn't have much time on the ball whereas in the first half he just gave him so much space yeah. and he was giving Furlong mm. absolute nightmares I mean, both the full So I think Bidwell was on the other side. Yeah, Bidwell And then was. that pass by Kevin McDonald for our second goal to Fredericks. There's two players on the outside of him running down. And I think they just... Colloway must have just given an absolute bollock in half-time because they turned up in second like a totally different side. But yeah, the substitutions, I have no issues with the players going off. But I didn't understand the players coming on. Like, Font... I don't why? understand Font, yeah. Um, Ojo and Aite, I don't really understand the need for. I just brought Silas Christie on. You didn't need to replace both wingers. I know to replace Essendon he's put because from burnout and stuff because obviously he's going away the under twenty ones as well. But yeah, it just it just didn't make any sense. And yeah, I don't I find it weird how Cabano's just not even I've, in the picture I, at the moment. I, if if it's me, and obviously it's not, I don't get paid to do any of this stuff like Ikanovic does. But I'm I'm going to bring on another striker up there. You know, Mitrovic is every time he got the ball, he was countered by three or four of the QPR players. He can't he couldn't make it stick. Just take one out from elsewhere potentially in midfield or or maybe even take off a winger and just go 442 and just try and get AK up on top with him there and try and give that ball retention take take some of the focus off Mitrovic it's all well and good having him in there because he can link up play but if he's been crowded out you need to take some of the pressure off him and this is where AK could have come in yeah I, I, I thought think the game was would have taken some Sorry. pressure off I thought the game was absolutely primed for AK to come on really I, yeah. I d- absolutely the um the game was beginning to be stretched. Mitrovic was looking quite leggy at that time, even though he kept on running and running, but it was at a much slower play- pace at the, from the start of the game. And I thought that um, that it was prime for AK to come on and exploit those gaps and sort of prime, try and put more pressure on their defenders. And what was quite 
odd, especially especially when we were countering and we did have like three or four really good opportunities on the counter. We were so wasteful. It was it was silly. We were and I think Kearney was actually guilty of a lot of it, especially the amount of times we we did get into space and he was turning sideways and trying to sort of dribble it out wide rather than take it forward when he had like 20, 30 yards of space in front of him. I can only remember maybe twice the ball actually making its way out on the right hand side to Fredericks. Obviously, this is where Mm. we sit far also. We can sort of, it sort of sticks out in the memory more, but I can only remember Fredericks getting it in a decent position maybe once or twice in that second half. Mm. The outlet there that we normally have at fullback is com- was completely erased, and we didn't even I work. Mean, to I try think and get a lot of the a lot of the credit in the second half to the way we did play poor, but the way QPR's fullbacks mm. just suddenly became gone from like Sean Kavanagh to Roberto Carlos and, <laughs> and like St- Manolev to Cafu. Which way round is Sean like, Kavanagh and yeah. Roberto Carlos? But like, I think you have to give credit to, to QPR for the second half performance because the way they closed down and it's not exactly a surprise because in March I think they've played the top four I don't know if, actually I don't think Derby are in the top four but they played Derby Villa us and Cardiff and won two and drawn two yeah I mean the weird thing is before then they were having they were on a terrible run of form oh yeah they, they had only won like were. one in 12 or something like that they also do seem to have something about them beating us and yeah. getting good results against us yes well, we won you, there you, you could say that but they've only won one of the last seven West London derbies yes but I just mean the last four games now so there was Saturday 2-2 there was the game at Loftus Road where we very very nearly threw it away a bit like we did yeah. on Saturday then there was the 1-1 uh, where Chris Martin got a late equaliser we mm-hmm. were poor that day we as well day. and then well, I said I said after that game we are not getting playoffs there's no chance this team can get playoffs and then the game before that we all know about and it was the game at the cottage and we're not going to discuss it any further than that they, yeah. they're suited to playing us because they, they all they want to do and all Holloway wants to do and that's all his teams do is just disrupt the other team's style yeah mm. if you but look at the game when, they, when they played Sunderland and they were playing Sunderland who had 10 men for most of the game yeah. they couldn't do anything because Sunderland aren't going to come out and attack them so yeah and to be fair QPR have had very good form since the end of January I mean they're 8th in the f- if you look at all results of the last 9-10 games they are 8th in the table and and if you and because it's typical if you look at another teams who perform very very well like Derby have only, only won once since the end of January the thing is though substitutions aside tactics aside what can explain the falling apart of our passing game there were simple simple yeah, that, errors in, in, in there for me in the second off we were just way too passive with the ball yeah, there was no dynamism the there was no directness to our play when I say that I don't mean they lump it up route one to Mitrovic but yeah, yeah, yeah. Pace in the way you're, you're moving the ball fr- through the phases. We seem to just have the ball in the fence, keep it for too long, pass it back to Bettinelli because they're pressing us too much, and then we end up losing the ball. Like we couldn't really string more than three passes together, and for some reason the our team became from one structured cohesive unit into just separated sort of parts like, of the pitch. Yeah. I can understand sometimes that we can't always look like Barcelona because you know games happen like that, and but we couldn't stretch two passes together. Never mind Barcelona; it was more like Barrow. It was terrible. It was do you, for me. It's a case of they were marking us, essentially man for man, and what you have to do to disrupt Fulham's style of play and the way we try and play is that you put space in between those lines. Like Dom says, it went from a cohesive unit of Tom Kearney linking the midfield and the attack um, through running up and down the the thirds to being Tom Kearney isolated, no links between any of the lines. And when we did try and play it out to full-backs, this was notice- noticeable from around about 75 minutes onwards when we were 
just knocking it around the back for no problem. And then Bettinelli would try and lump it over the top of one of the attackers into Fredericks. And Fredericks had nothing on the inside to pass to. He couldn't go up the line because there was Piazon wasn't offering anything. It's just isolated football. And yeah. it's all a credit to QPR. They pressed us, harried us, and they were all so well organised that we couldn't get out yeah. of the situations we were putting ourselves in. And ultimately, that led to our downfall with Verdoy. Yeah, a, a point I'd probably bring up is if you're looking at Jukanovic and the way he sort of set out in the second half, there was an article actually in the, the weekend pull-out of the Times today about everyone calling Mourinho um, a pragmatist, but actually Guardiola's the biggest pragmatist because mm. he plays to win. And I think Jukanovic... He's get he he has the same sort of concept, but he doesn't he doesn't adapt his shape to win the game. Whereas someone like Guardiola, who's obviously a much better manager, he's best manager in world football at the moment, and it and but he doesn't he doesn't adapt his system to then the game's current situation. It was working in the first half, but it's not working in the second half. So you clearly see something in the team shape needs to change. Whether that's changing to a four four two with more, maybe more defensive wingers and then. And then doing a lot overlapping down that wide because I didn't understand why we're playing the ball so centrally. We just seemed to keep the ball in the middle of the park in the middle of defence and weren't trying to do any any form of overlapping. I know it's like we were getting pressed very high, but I, I think he was yeah I think he was quite stubborn actually. Jukanovic he could have changed it and it reminded me of early in the season. <laughs> it doesn't sound like Jukanovic being stubborn at all. Yeah. <laughs> Shock horror. All right, well, we need to come on to the key moment in the game, and it, it was horrible to see. Adoy's slip, if for want of a better word, for QPR second. It was an unfortunate instance, uh, very well finished by Wolek, Wolshek? Wolshek. Sorry, I know that I should be more professional and learn how to pronounce his name, but I can't be sure. Uh, I do feel for Dennis, though, because he's brilliant, been brilliant all season when he's covered for Callas, but he was finding things difficult in that second half, and obviously that is what the game's going to be remembered for on Saturday. Yeah, unfortunately for Adoy, I mean, he was pretty good for the, the first hour, and then leading up to the inevitable equaliser... Um, it was a culmination of little mistakes that turned into a huge one. There was an I remember there was one easy header um that he was supposed to playing away with not much pressure on him and it just sailed right over his head and fell to one of their strikers. And we'd already just made our three subs and there was a couple of other mistakes after that and I was like, Oh God, it's going to it's going to happen. Mm. It is going to and unfortunately it did. It had I've, I've referenced back to a few past footballing games, but it it had all of the reminiscence of Gerard. No, don't mention it, that it, one. It did though. It, I mean, everything about it, from the slip to the way it was him through, and even the finish was almost exactly identical as well. And I guess it's just the desperation from us in the stands. I knew, I knew it was, as soon as it. He, Rub the ball. I knew this was going only going in one yeah, place. Yeah, I, I sat there in a Johnny Haynes stand and I saw him lose the ball, and I just sat back in my chair. I couldn't even look. All I, I knew the goal went in because of the crowd. And after I didn't even bear, I couldn't even bear to look at the replay. I couldn't bear to look at the pitch. You, you could, as Farrell said, you could just tell it was coming. There were there were little things that Adoy was doing where it just screamed of complacency. And in a game like that, you can't afford to be complacent, especially with someone pressing you as high as QPR were. And if it wasn't, in my opinion, if it wasn't a doy, it was going to be one of TC or um, mm. Ream because they were doing it a lot. This point where they would allow the attackers to come onto them and then try and Cruyff turn their way out of it yeah. when they're the last person. 
It happened a few times, and I'm surprised it didn't happen earlier. What was what's? I'm try, I was trying to think while you were talking, Ben, and I think that's the first proper like mistake that we've seen that's led to a, a goal against us in quite a long time. Which is, I mean, in a weird way, it's 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 nice to have that kind of stat that. Unfortunately, mistakes happen and, and whatnot, but this is the first time I can think of for a long time where that has happened, and I think that's that. Some maybe that's credit to the team itself that yeah, we don't def- have to talk about mistakes. Yeah, definitely a direct mistake. I mean, because there's so few goals that we've conceded, it's yeah. quite nice to think. But you think like Bolton, Lafondra scored a wonder goal. Mm. Derby wasn't really. It was kind of dodgy free kick that just kind of fell nicely to Huddleston. Bristol City was maybe weak defending but not a mistake. So yeah, I think actually you do seem to have a fair point. We haven't made too many mistakes. An interesting point and I don't know if people were reading too much into this but the pitch was obviously heavy on Saturday. It was snowing overnight. There'd been a lot of rain. It was a horrible day to be honest mm. uh, in southwest London and it's only just about uh, starting to warm up a little bit in this part of the world. But they watered the pitch really heavily at half-time uh, at the cottage on Saturday. And some people wondered if that had a negative impact on our play, slowing up the ball. I don't know, maybe if people are reading too much into it. But actually, when you think about it logically, it is a bit surprising. I know you people want it to zip off the surface, but it was it was only ever going to make the pitch kind of sodden. Well, yeah, I think I agree with that. You know, there, there becomes a point where the the pitch is almost too wet yeah. and it slows the ball down it starts to have not standing water but an amount of water on there where the ball sort of feels some sort of resistance Yeah, and I feel like that could have been the case but it shouldn't have been that much of a factor if anything it's probably the complacency that's a, that's a main factor rather than the, the pitch being watered yeah and the other thing I wanted to kind of pick up on a similar vibe was how I wonder if Fulham fans are a little bit quick to start singing stuff like Queen's Park Rangers, it's happened again mm. at 2-0. And we very nearly threw it away at Loftus Road, and ultimately we did. I know that the, what impact do the fans really have in terms of marginal things like that, but I remember at the time thinking, we haven't been great here, and there's still 45 minutes to go. I remember just going, eh. I still joined in, but... <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's that... Uh, um, runaway chant which I will not join in ever unless we're actually promoted oh come on mm, even though I think we're still going to win the league do you not uh, think I'm we're not by far actually... the greatest team the world has ever seen well that's an actual fact oh right okay I'll do that one that's fine <laughs> <laughs> right well there's still loads more to discuss uh, playoff and promotion race uh, and we'll be answering all your questions as well in just a second hello I am Brad Hangeland and when I'm not rubbing my thigh with cheese I'm listening to the Fulhamish podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Ben Jarman. Hello. Farrell Monk. Hola. And Don Betts. Hello, hello. How are you all doing? Smashing. As good as I was in the first half, mate. Oh, well, that's good to know things haven't changed in the uh, first half now. We had to discuss some pretty hard-hitting topics, Ben, so I'm glad to know that things are still all well with you. (laughs) Well, we'll be Fulham in the first half and QPR in the second. Oh, there we go, so switch (laughs) off now. Um, Just to say, there is no Fulhamish extra this week. It's the international break coming up, and also... I don't think there's going to be a Fulhamish next Monday. And I, I hate to break it to you, but I think we're just going to take a little bit of a break uh, as it's the international break. There's no games to discuss anyway, but sometimes we do the phone-in, but I don't have the equipment to do a phone-in right now. Um, unless I'm to I... your phone. Sorry? What happened to your phone? 
Yeah, it's dead, mate. Oh, okay. No, we don't have uh, good enough equipment to do it properly. So I think we're just going to take a week's break, uh, especially with the playoffs looking more and more likely. It's going to be a long couple of months. We want to do loads and loads of good stuff over those couple of months. So probably better to take a couple of weeks now and then we'll be fighting fit for the run-in. Yeah, we'll do a few extra. We'll save a few extra for the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. I imagine we'll, we'll, you know, last year we went quite big during the playoffs. I think we want to go even bigger and get loads of stuff out during the playoffs. So maybe a couple of weeks for us to batten down the hatches, get some good preparation in, and then we'll be fighting fit for lots more Fulhamishes coming up. Anyway, boring stuff. Uh, let's talk about the playoffs and the potential promotion race. Hard to gauge the impact of Saturday's draw because Derby and Cardiff's game on Saturday was called off. Have you seen what Warnock said about this? Yeah, but have you also just seen their COO has released a statement regarding uh, the fact that the game was actually called off? It's a case that they just... What, the just, Cardiff COO? Yeah. Well, they're, they're, Cardiff think that Derby have somehow deliberately manipulated the situation to try and call off the game because Car- uh, Derby uh, had lots of injuries and obviously Cardiff were banging well, form. And thought it was they- clearly worse two weeks ago when we played them, or however long ago it was now. Yeah. It was clearly a lot, lot worse that day. And that day, it wasn't... It Walking to the ground wasn't an issue, really. If I remember correctly, I didn't have any issues getting to the ground, and I was. Although it, it, it hadn't snowed on that day, had it up in Derby when we no, played it? No, it, it was definitely. It was lot still worse. a lot of and, snow. But then also the argument is that maybe our game shouldn't have gone ahead. Yeah. And that, and so both therefore should be postponed. But then, I, it is a how it wasn't. It was what called off two minute two hours for kickoff. That's a bit crap for Cardiff fans. You do yeah, because Cardiff fans probably would have wanted to get there like an hour or two before kickoff first anyway they're coming from Cardiff they probably all jumped on the first train on a Sunday or dr- started driving down and then it doesn't help that Derby had about 10 fit senior players well this statement says uh, that CEO Ken Chu uh, has contacted the EFL in regards to the postponement of Sunday's fixture against Derby County um, he wants to know why the game was postponed and how the decision was reached and then he says that he can understand why the fans are frustrated uh, at being called off at such short notice one thing I did find actually quite funny is that Greg Halford tweeted out about oh, that was, that the, was so the fact funny. that oh, I can't believe the game's called off, there's no snow anywhere, and then his car got caught in snow on the way home no. and has to be pushed down the motorway by Cardiff fans. But, no, but, but I mean, the EFL have come out today and it says it's going to look into the postponement of the game. Mm, okay. um, well, uh, it means that really we can't tell how much of an impact that draw was going to have. I think, to be honest, had Cardiff gone on and beaten Derby I'm not saying the game's never going ahead I don't know when it's being rearranged for but 10 points now with 8 games remaining would be a very 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 yeah, tall yeah, the, order yeah the postponement's not helped us but I mean it's just they've got, just got an, a ridiculous amount of fixture congestion in, in the next like month or two now mm. which could potentially yeah. be helpful and considering how many, how many good teams they're playing they've still got to play Villa still got to play Wolves still got to play Derby and still got to play Sheffield United mm. well we said at the time about um, before our run of fixtures um, we'll take like the, the real ones um, against the top eight teams that we had that we were on such a good run of form and I think we'd just beaten Villa or Wolves and we're all like singing the praises and it's uh, you know quite rightly we were all up going for it going like let's let's go let's do this let's do this but we said at the time that it only takes one result to make it all flat again a little bit and the same is the same is true of Cardiff it only takes that one result to sort of make it flat Mm. I mean look at Derby they had they probably had it probably was when we beat them and they have they I don't think they've won a game since 
well, they hadn't really won many games before that, but you know, they've been on a terrible run of form. Dummy, it doesn't take lots to you know fall apart, and you're kind of seeing that with with Villa. They've lost two games consecutively. Mm. They would definitely have looked at QPR at home and Bolton away as mm. as six points, well, six if, if, if not if four talk, points. If we talk about Derby, if we, from the end of January, they won one game. Yeah. I mean, they've been on a terrible time. They've only lost two, but they've only won one game. They're, seven, they're 17th in the form table from the end of January. And I mean, if you, there's teams like... like if, But then, we're, I think we're, we're third in that form table yeah. from the end of January. Wait, third? Yeah, in the last nine games, we've won six, drawn three. So Millwall. who's between us and Cardiff? Millwall, Millwall are top. Millwall are oh. high, higher than Fulham. Yeah, they've won seven and drawn two. We've won six, drawn three. They've only conceded four goals in those nine games as well. They've won six on the bounce away from home. God. And we still have to they, play them. Before that, they had they had only won one away from home, and then they've won the last six on the bounce. Okay, they're actually in touching distance of the playoffs now. No, I think that yes. thing is a very that, very real possibility. That game at the Den, should they beat the next two opponents, becomes a very big game for Millwall because they'll be either in the playoffs or in very much in touching distance. Yeah, of the and obviously playoffs. they gained two points on Middlesbrough on the weekend after they drew Brentford. Yeah, is it now time though? To apart from obviously there is a lofty ambition that second could be reached. Is it kind of time now to be looking at those other teams in the playoffs realistically and then say that, okay, yeah, the, the automatic, you can keep winning your games and you never know with the automatics, but realistically, we just need to be looking at securing third and fourth now and making sure we have a second leg at home? Well, that is the realistic aim, but I don't think we should give up the fight that easily. Um, we know what this Fulham team are capable of and we know stranger things have happened in the championship. Um so I still think it's all to play for. I think maybe in the next two or three games we'll become far clearer. I yeah, think. but it's always like when you I don't know when you when you do an exam you want to aim for an A and then if you get a B you're happy mm. instead of aiming for the B and then you never speak, had a chance yeah. to speak for yourself. I'm I, going I, for the D's. For once, I think I I disagree with Farrell. I, I think if we had a drop if we had picked up the two additional points from this weekend, I think uh, the task wouldn't have been insurmountable for some reason. Uh, but for now, I feel like those drop points and obviously Villa dropping points as well I don't think I don't think either of us are going to match Cardiff unless I know Cardiff have got some very difficult games but they seem to be beating everyone um, or just grinding out results against everyone at the minute I can't really see Wolves losing it either No, I I do think we're going to have to settle for playoffs now but that's it's still an incredible it's still an incredible incredible achievement considering where we were back in uh, early November, you know, 17th to either third or fourth, if it is that, is still brilliant. We still need to keep winning games because, especially with some of those other teams who are bang on form, uh, Fulham came very, very close to not just getting sixth last season, we're only a few points off getting uh, fifth and even uh, potentially fourth mm-hmm. last season. We, we, were, we could have done it, we could have potentially eclipsed Huddersfield had we just won a few more games. So, it's not beyond the realms of possibility if Fulham fell apart that okay I'd, I'd like to think that the playoffs are getting more and more secure but we could fall into that fifth and sixth places and we know how difficult last season it is when you have to face that second leg away from home so f- fingers crossed we can keep on getting the results well, as, as, as I mentioned if they, keep, if they keep aiming for the top two that won't happen but if, they, if they're now just cons- about consolidating playoffs I think that's more likely to happen from a yeah. mental aspect so if you just aim as high as possible then you're not you're going to be always thinking about the win, not, oh, we can get away with a draw here. I think that's what we need to do. If you saw uh, the news today, that Millwall game, uh, on the which was scheduled to be on the 21st of April, has now moved to Friday night. I'm happy about that. Yeah, that's going to be quite a good atmosphere. Tasty. <laughs> it's not too far from here. Yeah. No, it's not. We're, yeah. in, we're in Southwark at the moment. Yeah, you can, walk, you can walk to London Bridge in 10 minutes and get a train from there, or just 
walk to the ground for yeah, we we probably walk in less than half an hour. Ah, I'm excited. Hand in hand. Yeah. It's gonna be a tasty atmosphere down the den. Have you been? No. Last one when I got kicked out, so hopefully this one ends better. <laughs> Farrell's going to bring his baseball bat. Right, um, <laughs> let's get some questions in. Don, what's coming? The first question is coming from Jack Copeland, who says, over the last 10 games, Fulham have achieved 26 out of a possible 30 points. Despite this, over the same period, we've gained only one point on Villa and three points on Cardiff. However, we've gained nine points on Wolves. Rep playing this form over the last 10 games of the season would see us on 91 points, which usually is enough to go up. Given these stats, do we actually have more hope of catching Wolves than we do Cardiff? Is it unrealistic for Cardiff and Villa to also potentially maintain this level of form? Literally only one loss, us beating Villa between the three clubs over the last 10 game weeks or 30-odd games. I think Wolves' win pretty much guarantees them promotion on the weekend. Was that, who was that against again? Burton. Oh, yeah. And it was... I just can't see Wolves not doing it. Come no, on. I mean... They've got Ruben Neves back yeah, now. Yeah, I just... I, I, we're on great form, but we just—it's just been unlucky. All the other teams have been on great form as well. Like Cardiff are unbeaten in the last ten games. We're unbeaten in the last ten games. Villa only lot we'll do it, were basically unbeaten until we played them, and they've gone off the rails pretty much since then. I think, I think this season's just gonna a bit of an anomaly where that usual is, which is the ninety-one points, which is typically enough to go up. It won't be typically enough to go up because Cardiff, although they do, they play pretty most horrific football. I, think they have, I know they haven't dominated possession in one game this year. I don't know when the last game they did dominate a game of possession, but then they're proving they're just good. It's like when you have that tactic on football manager and it just gets results, being yeah. like 20% possession. Well, you say that, it's quite interesting because up until maybe the last few weeks, this season had become pretty much a one-horse race and then there was just the best of the rest and it seemed like there was going to be a team in second that would get there and at one point I thought it was going to be like a record low I thought it would maybe take 82 83 points to get to second because just no one was taking a charge for second no one was getting anywhere near Wolves because no one was putting the kind of runs together that now ourselves Villa and Cardiff all have put together and now it look it's now looking like it is going to take the magic kind of 90 points to get automatic promotion so it's been it's been a funny one how in one sense it looked like it wasn't going to be a real race for promotion and then it's ended up being one yeah Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) the next question is quite an interesting question from Tom O'Sullivan he was like who do you think our best youth prospects aside from the obvious Cessnons and Matteo Riley are um Theo Eden comes to mind, uh, that Francois in the youth team. Yeah, he was very impressive against Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's, the... And he's obviously playing a lot a lot above his sort of his age. Ashby Hammond, uh young goalkeeper uh for Fulham. He was he's been very good all season. He's uh, did an incredible penalty save and I forget against exactly who earlier in the season for for the youth team and although he didn't have well, he did. The only thing he really had the chance to do against Chelsea was to pick the ball out of the net six times. Um, he has been very, very good. Um, one you could look, look out for is Elijah Adebayo. Yeah, there's a there's a guy that plays for I think it's the under 18s. He's 15 or 16 years old, and his last name is Carvajal. Um, I know Frankie, who comes on this pod, mm. is a very big fan of him and has earmarked him for the future. Obviously, there's a couple of centre backs, uh, or one in particular, Aaron Davis is. Uh, looks very assured every time I see him play and he looks like he could make this jump um, he's getting on a little bit in terms of being a prospect I think he's 18, 19 years old now um, I would have thought if he would have been at that stage he may have gone out on loan somewhere but he hasn't as yet 
Um, but yeah, Edun, Edun's a good one. Luca Della Torre. Luca Della Torre still here. I think these, yeah. they're like Stevie Humphries and, as well. Stevie I'm surprised they didn't go out online in January, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, me too. Because they clearly weren't gonna get into our. Well, especially team. with this work thing that Slav's done, where he's tried to build a tight knit of eighteen, nineteen, and it's quite obvious. I mean, if Cabano's not in it, then I mean, Della Torre's not going to be getting no, anywhere close. That yeah, as you say, you might as well ship him out. Maybe they couldn't find a suitable club. Yeah. I'm sure they would. I, I think I saw a, a link earlier. Maybe it was last week that Taylor was linked to a loan move in the MLS season to New England Revolution. Okay, can um, we still loan players out to club, or is there just is it? final can lower league teams there's usually some sort of loan deadline but that tends to kind of change season when, by season because we signed Richard met... Lee on loan from was it Brentford yeah that most point, the pointless loan which... I met Richard the other day lovely yeah. guy oh no yeah, he came in the office he was a very nice guy also I don't, I, he's probably not a prospect but Jerome Poku because he's just got the greatest chart of all time <laughs> there's two that we haven't really mentioned first one Stevie Humphreys yeah, he's well... still very much our player Yeah. although potentially one of the biggest idiots I've ever come across um, and then the second one is a keeper that's starting to make his way into the matchday squads now is Magnus Norman yes yeah. and of course we've got Rodak still out on loan um, you're yeah. forgetting Collie Woodrow and George Williams uh, club legends no spin them off um, but yeah you say Stevie Humphries and I don't think we really touched it on the podcast but as a very very well taken goal yeah, against Spurs at Wembley and, and the amount that that will do for his confidence to get a goal at Wembley like that on the telly on the BBC uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have done wonders I don't really exactly know how well he's done for Rochdale uh, in terms of the league and maybe Dom uh, can have a quick tap away on his laptop to find out but that, that would have done wonders I was actually in attendance uh, for that game as a secret Spurs fan I was actually as a Rochdale fan definitely supporting Stephen Humphreys right, yeah. and it was a well taken goal and he was actually largely impressive for that game um, against a full strength Spurs team and um, yeah he, he, he was very hard working I don't know whether it was the occasion but it was pleasing to see that in a big game like that he turned on his performance considering the only other time that we've seen him was against Brighton uh, last season oh, and it he was, was too soon it was just too soon so you know it kind of shows that these loans are yeah well, good you, thing for these I mean, players he's, he's clearly performing well but he's only scored two goals okay so um, really, although his what... goal on the weekend was a very good finish okay but Humphreys, he's just going to be a League One Championship player. He's just going to be the next Corley Woodrow for me. Mm, I, I feel like he's got a bit more about him than a Corley, but you know, it's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult to tell. You never, you, you... Look at Harry Kane. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't good in any of his. He was. He wasn't like amazing in any of his loan spells. No. And then he just suddenly turned it on and found a method for him that personally clicked and he obviously worked very hard on his personal development that's where it would be interesting for Stevie Humphreys has he got that mentality to work as hard as someone like Harry Kane to develop his game and because you can see from that performance against Spurs that he's got some natural ability but you know Kane's got a living chef stays latest in training is Stevie Humphreys doing that I'm not so sure he is the one thing I did like about when uh, Humphreys played Spurs is that I think Fulham <laughs> took someone down there from the uh, comms department and uh, had someone on their Instagram stories doing a little Stevie Humphreys watch, which I thought was quite nice that the club were making an effort to go to the stadium and you know, put some stuff up about a lone player and making it aware. I just thought it was quite a nice little touch from the club. Uh, any more questions, Dom? Why does Ojo look so ineffective? This is from Stuart Roberts. He clearly has talent but seems to play so much within himself. I wonder if it's nerves. No, he's just not very good. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, Ojo 
he has games, but then he like he plays really well in, but then he literally will just disappear in other games. Like I don't I don't know if he works as a sub. I don't know if he works as an impact sub. No. I I think if he's gonna play he needs to start and if he's not starting he shouldn't come on the pitch. If he's not gonna start, don't put him in squad. Put Cabano in the squad. Yeah. Why do you think he only works as a starter? I don't know. I think personally if uh, personally for me, I think he works I think there's two reasons as to why he works as a sub. Firstly because he's still quite young and it takes him some time to feel the the nature of the game. And secondly, the fact that I think it's a wider point in football is that a lot of younger players are overcoached at such a young age not to take too many risks. Mm-hmm. And that's why it, it feels and looks like Ojo's playing within himself or is slightly nervous because he doesn't want to give the ball away in a dangerous area. At the same time, he doesn't really want to take on a man in case, yeah, like we say, he gives the ball away. And I think it's just a case of you can be overcoached as a youngster and it sort of takes away the risk-taking that you normally would do if you were playing like street football at an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old. I think that could be why Ojo looks a little bit reserved. And maybe on better pitch. to be starting off and yeah, as you say, work your way into yeah. a game. But if you're coming on as a substitute, you need to take risks because the whole point is you're coming on with fresh to legs. A game, yeah. Yeah. And if you're not going to try and beat that man, do that little flick, and just keep playing it safe and passing it backwards, you might as well keep the player that was on there that's exactly. run out of legs on because that's what he'd do. Yeah, Ryan Giggs actually. Um, said that the overcoaching can be a bit of a problem because he said that in his early days at Man United that um, he he was being told to you know take less risks and do more for the team which he said probably stifled a lot of his creativity down the years but obviously was grateful for the fact that he was winning trophies left right and center you know what it's like though don't you you enter especially if you kind of come on to a football game and you, you you're playing as a substitute and it's it's already in action and then your first touch of the ball always feels it's quite difficult isn't it and if you make a mistake how are you going to play for the rest yeah and if you make a mistake then then the rest of the team are like oh and you're not into the pace of the game and before you know it you're thinking well I'm not going to try and do anything other than just make sure I find a teammate at all costs for this next pass because I don't want the crowd to get on my back and maybe that is what Ojo is experiencing well Farrell makes a great point in that overcoaching is definitely a thing in football but I think what we have to realise is that football is a collective game, but it also relies on individual expertise and, and flair and um, some sort of incisiveness. And if Ojo can't come on and give that immediately when he's required as a substitute, what is the point in playing him when you've got Cabano on there who has that dynamism in yeah. those in those tight areas? Well, you would. The, the one thing that does annoy me about it when just looking at Saturday that Ojo came on and you want to play like that, especially a. a big tall pacey winger like that to make an impact and at least put some effort in but it just seemed like he came on and it was a bit of a whimper I don't think I saw him even put try and put a tackle in let alone at least attempt a track back I mean if we're going to give um, Ojo some stick for, for that that substitute performance and we have to give it to Aita I think the only tackle I saw him make was on Ryan Sessignon on the edge of the box <laughs> so uh, he shouldn't escape much criticism mm. alright well I think that's um all we've got time for is there anyone is there a quick question we can ask um, there or it's it's a question but I want to put my own sort of twist on the end of it well, it's about on. short corners which I don't want to talk about okay but he, he, he mentions every all teams know we're going to go short now and it goes back to what Slavisa said in his press conference that um, we didn't try to change the style um, and, he, and, he, and he said but the solution cannot be to change the style and we didn't try to do that that makes no sense to me Surely, if you you know your system you're playing is not working, you change it. 
That, that I don't understand why he said that. Well, I think that the, the the squad itself has become so good and so drilled into a particular system that to change it to something else would be so ineffective, perhaps. And it's quite interesting with the short corners that we did after a while we did try and put the ball in the box like I think the last three or four corners it was just straight into the box but we didn't even look for the short one player went short but usually when Fulham do go short there's two at least two players supporting the man on the corner but only one was doing it after a while and I think that's probably down to the substitutions they came on and they didn't really know their role first half Fulham were putting in some some short corners but it wasn't in the way we normally see it when we at least give the the player that's come short some sort of space to get a ball delivered in it was literally the ball would roll out of the D and then Target or Piazon would put it in first time mm. Piazon in particular was absolutely woeful with his um, deliveries into the box I don't think any of them cleared the first man and it went into the second half as well um, I think we do short corners because it, cre- it it pulls people out of the box and gives us more space but you can't really do that if you know, three of our tallest players are Reem, Mitrovic, and Adoy. Like we're not going to win anything in the air against Lynch, um, Matt Smith, and uh, Anua. It's just really difficult. So um, I don't think we could have really changed it there. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Short corners give us more shot like conversion rate anyway. But I get the frustration completely. Who uh, sent that question, Dom? Just to that give him the give him a nod from Jordan Harrison. Cheers, Jordan. Right, well, make sure you send your questions in uh, for the next podcast, which, as I mentioned, won't be for a little while. It, we will do an extra one, a preview of the Norwich City game. Uh, I've got Jack Reeve, who you may know uh, from the Talk Norwich City YouTube channel, uh, which is quite mm-hmm. a well-known uh, account. He's going to come on and chat about all things Norwich, as there's uh, two games over Easter weekend. We play Norwich on Good Friday and then Leeds United, Dirty Leeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the Tuesday after Easter Monday, we can't so, be singing that they're falling apart now because they've really just already, they're already on, I think pieces they're in, on the I floor. Think as Leeds the, are in mid-table again. No, well, yeah, technically, but <laughs> Leeds I mean, are in mid-table again. But yeah, like, doesn't really have no, I think the um, the form, that, 12, as, the form since the end of the transfer window, they're in the bottom three. It's only Reading and Sunderland below them who haven't won a game. And in, they, I don't want to make this the bloody Leeds podcast, but like, they, what the, the sack of the manager just makes no sense. And you're wearing yellow and uh, white as well. Yeah, that's my skin colour. Closet leads together. (laughs) (laughs) Closet leads fan. With that kind of comment, ending the podcast. Well, uh, we need to name uh, today's podcast. So on that duty is uh, Ben Jarman. Ben, what are you going for? Well, uh, there was an honourable wrenching from Don Betts behind the scenes, which was poo PR, but um, I don't think we're going to put that one out there. Um, I think we're going to go for Oh Dear Adoy. It was a very good three-word review and uh, well worthy of getting what, the pod. Yeah, that's, <laughs> is that your three-word review? Probably, yeah. It's <laughs> forgotten what he did with Paddy's weekend, wasn't it? Uh, right, well, thank you very much for listening today. As I mentioned, Fulhamish should be back uh, in about 10 days or so. Hopefully you find some other podcast to fill your boots in the meantime. Uh, to Farrell Monk, thank you very much for today. Thank you. Don Betts, thank you very much on the questions. Right. And Ben Jarman, thank you. Cheers, Sam. No worries. We will see you very soon. <laughs> Bye-bye. Laters. Toodles. Cheerio. Can you name the pod, by the way? Oh, God. Gonna... You've got time. There, You've got time. Poo PR. It was better. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, then. Poo PR is. <laughs>
How do you spell that? Poo. P-O-O. Yeah, no, but then do you do P-O-O. 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 Do you do P-O-O? Or do you just put P? P-O-O.